20th time, the Bannermen are in your ears. It's our 20th episode, the Luke Robitaille episode, and we are coming off the heels of a terrible time in our history with the Bannermen. The LA Kings have been swept out of the playoffs in the first round by the Vegas Golden Knights, and for this entire episode, I think we're just going to basically cry, maybe throw up a little bit, things mm-hmm. like that. How are you, Vardy? I'm bewildered. I'm lost in a sea of emotion, my friend. Uh, I'm better now than I was last week, for sure. Uh, I think seeing the first couple of games of the second round somehow made me actually feel a little bit better about the first round. Um, but yes, sadly, even though we are 1-0 in terms of making the playoffs in the Batterman area, we are 0-4, 0-4 in terms of... Uh, <laughs> doing anything in the playoffs oh man um so i'm sure you guys picked up on the fact that we're going to be doing kind of a autopsy episode on the Mm -hmm. series on the season what went wrong what can go right moving forward our overall thoughts on where the team is headed in general but let's i guess start with the series that was short much shorter than we thought (laughs) um i really hope that we have (laughs) More episodes to do while hockey is still going on for the LA Kings. But here we are. Uh, we did one episode. <laughs> one. In and the what series. an episode it was. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's start it off. We, we covered game one in our last episode. Uh, Drew Daddy was suspended. We felt pretty good going back home. We kind of both mm-hmm. said that that game, we chalked it up as a loss. We were correct. It was a close game, right? Uh, overtime game. Uh, the Kings basically playing with an ahl blue line they managed to only allow vegas uh two goals and the kings also Mm -hmm. scored one from a borderline ahl defenseman i guess depending (laughs) on who you talk to and paul will do but going into game three vardy i felt pretty good about it you know we were missing muzzin obviously forbert and dowdy uh i was pretty confident muzzin would be back for game three he was and game three was at the time, the best game the Kings played in that series. Yeah, no, I, I think I think game two, you have to hand it to them. You know, any game when you have Oscar Fantenberg playing, you know, 55 minutes or whatever it was that he played out of a double overtime game and you still walk out of there in double overtime with a score of 2-1, I think if there's any way of taking any moral victories in the playoffs, that's about as best case scenario as you can do. The, the Kings were completely outskated in that in that uh, game, outhandled. I mean, if, I'm sure if you look at the the shot attempts, the the Corsi, everything is going to indicate that the Knights completely dominated. Um, you and I are a big fan of of an old fashioned eyeball test, and certainly the Kings did not pass that either. I mean, it was it was pretty much Knights from the get go, and the Kings were scratching and clawing. But sometimes you get, you know you get away with games like that in the playoffs. They're not all going to be Rembrandts. Um, and, you, you know, I, I think we both felt that making it to overtime, if they could just hold on and, and find a crack and just squeeze one through. And they had a couple chances yeah, to make that did. happen. Kopi yeah. had that brilliant he look did, from the man. slot and he missed he the net. Did. Yeah. You know, it's funny. 
I don't know if it was just the, the tone or the tempo of the series or just losing Dowdy early on or just how Vegas was playing, but I felt like Kobe reverted a little bit back to the less of the shot mentality, less of the, you know, kind of a motivated offensive player. I think he was trying to be a bit more careful. And, and again, I don't think it was just him. I think it was the whole team a little bit because the Knights just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, but I think we've seen from the regular season that there's there's a different level to Kopi when he's really trying to push the offense a bit more as opposed to worrying about what he's going to do on defense. And I don't know if, if the circumstances were right or maybe I'm just giving him an excuse and maybe he should have just straight up played better. Um, but I just I didn't think I saw the same Kopitar during the playoff series as brief as it was as I did during the regular season. To be fair, he was still the Kings' best player on offense. No I question. I think it was close. No question. Uh, I think he was still the most dangerous Kings player on offense, uh, which you know I think it says more. But he about, should be. I he, mean, he almost every be. night he should be. But that says a lot about where the secondary offense was in this series, and and we'll get yeah. into it a little more. And obviously, that second line. Um, just didn't have it. Didn't generate much. I mean, let, let's move on to Game 3. Obviously, the Kings had looks in Game 2. If they stole that game, we said it. If they stole that game going home with Muzzin and Dowdy, that's the way we felt it was going to be, um, that they would have a real good look at winning the series. They couldn't steal it. They got as close as you can with the depleted lineup. I felt pretty good going into Game 3. Game 3, the Kings came out real strong in the first. I remember they were... I think Kopitar... I have follow and Brown. I can't remember if it was game three and four, but their first period Corsi was 100% <laughs> in, in the first. I can't remember again. It might have been was, three because that's where I have follow scored in the right. first period. Well, right? to be fair, they were good in both, you know, know first periods. Know. Right. But anyway, the Kings go up one nothing. They look like things are good <laughs> things are going well <laughs> things are in control there i i would say they were the more dangerous team throughout the game and then tyler Toffoli has seemingly the game on his tape right in front of mark andre flurry he didn't get the shot off he wanted there was a good back check there uh, i can't remember which night it was but it was a good back check enough to distract him maybe enough to make him think twice about the shot and, and flurry who really games three and four mark andre flurry really was tested he was probably the best player on the ice for both games he makes a stop and of course th then comes basically the meltdown uh, of mm -hmm. the kings i believe it was cody eakin who tied it and then almost before you knew it james neal had one and then william carlson had one and you could basically put the lights out in the building the kings made it three too late on a tip by kopitar but for all intents and purposes, that game was done after Carlson made it 3-1 on what was a complete defensive meltdown on that play yeah. by the Kings. Yeah, I think it's not an excuse. I mean, that's an inexcusable goal in a lot of ways if you just look at how it, it all took place. I mean, for all the for all the crap that we give and the Kings – and all the other pundits give to um, to Kempe for his lack of ability in the faceoff dot. That was a defensive zone faceoff that he won, and his supporting cast just kind of let him down. Um, uh, uh, Riley Smith basically beat the Kings' defensemen and the backchecking forwards and Reader to the puck 
at the board and with no hesitation just throws it up the gut to where he pretty much knows Carlson's going to be. And no one picked him up. Dowdy thought the puck was going to go around the back of the net because he's looking at a two-on-one in the corner there. Um, Quick's obviously looking at the puck in the corner, and Carlson comes in completely unmarked in the slot. And then the pass just comes out to the slot because that's where you throw the puck. It wasn't, it wasn't anything, you know, mind blowing. It wasn't like ridiculous dangles or something like that. that completely threw him off. It was just a hard nosed play from yet another one of the, you know, 40 some odd guys apparently are on this team that completely buy in that every single shift, every single puck battle can and should be won. And it's a credit to Gerard Gallant and the coaching staff and everything kind of running through the veins of these guys the entire season. That's how they've been playing. That's how they've been playing the entire regular season. That's how they play this entire series. And I I just don't know if the Kings were prepared for that. I don't know. Yeah, it was (laughs) – that sound you heard when that goal was scored – was five LA Kings brain farts at once, except, like you said, maybe Adrian Kempe. Yeah, Reader and Muzzin on Riley Smith along the boards. First of all, that's a battle you have to win. That's not even a question. Second of all, Drew Doughty seeing two guys already on one, sliding behind the net. I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, I got two guys that are likely going to beat one guy, and I'm going to have to be here for maybe an easy pass behind the net. And Trevor Lewis was swinging around the circle for an outlet. And it was like the Red Sea parted. And it was a great play by Smith. It was a hard work play. I think it was a one-handed pass, maybe. I might be wrong on that. But it was a hard pass right to Carlson. And no chance for Quick. I don't care. I mean, what's he supposed to do there, you know? Uh, That being said, maybe Quick needs to stop the James Neal goal where he basically turnstiled Fantenberg, the guy that we were worried about all series getting all those minutes and again i don't want you know you could just harp on him all you want yes it was a weak play i think let's say Derek forbert makes a stronger play just you know by virtue of his size of his reach maybe neil doesn't have that clean a look that clean an escape on the boards like that quick maybe wants that one back but it's just this whole series this whole series four game sweep it was a matter of one play, one mistake, one decision that cost the Kings seemingly four straight games uh, against the Knights. And I mean, game four, it was Braden McNabb, poetry, of course, uh, mm-hmm. scoring the game winner, the the series winner against his old team, which has kind of been the entire rally cry of, of this team. This Vegas Golden Knights team is like, oh, they didn't want us. Let's show them. And that's exactly what McNabb kind of did closest four game sweep you can find and I, i'm gonna stick to that yes vegas had the puck for much longer periods of time probably had better quality chances uh actually i take that back i think maybe quality chances were were close uh yeah i think they had the puck i think they threw the puck on net a lot but i think when you're talking about straight up quality chances particularly in games three and four it was really really close yeah i agree with you and again i i'm not i'm not discounting game two which is obviously the most lopsided game of the series but no one can look at that game and tell me that they didn't expect it to be as one-sided as it was in terms of the advanced stats i mean the kings are missing half of their starting defensive lineup including two of their biggest possession driving defensemen okay the fact that they walked away from that 
with a double overtime 2-1 loss, I think is huge. So I and, and that handicaps him, right? Like you can't you can't do anything about it if if you lose that game. I mean, that's that's expected. I think they came out really well in 3 and 4. I think I agree with you. They had every opportunity in the world to win, but it's it's a game of inches when when two teams are playing that close. And that's what it comes down to, man. You know, Neil made a great play on Fantenberg. I agree with you that maybe a, a bigger, more defensive defenseman, someone who's used to taking the body a bit more there as opposed to trying to stick check a guy on, on a play like that. Maybe he doesn't get around as easily, but that's that's what it takes. It's one play. You know, Fleury came up with several big plays on his end to make stops that would have been surefire Kings goals and could have completely swung the momentum. I think he gets, you know, he gets all the credit in the world in game four for completely keeping them in it and another close game. And, you know, it's stepping back from the emotion, I think, of being swept because it's, it's been a really, really long time since the Kings have been swept. Um, I think if you step back and you analyze the opponent that you're playing and how well they've done and how this team held up, given where you projected the Kings to be throughout the beginning of the season, throughout the season as a whole, completely disregarding where, you know, how Vegas has come has exceeded all expectations. I don't know. I mean, would you, would you agree with me that this, despite how the postseason went, that the season itself is probably a bit of a win, you know given that, what the preseason expectations were? You know, that's why I'm kind of glad we waited a week to do the episode because yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. If you really step off the ledge for a second and really break it down, um, this is probably if, you know, whether it be management, whether it be fans, if in September, you know, someone put a paper in front of you to sign off on saying the Kings are going to make the playoffs, um, you sign. You sign regardless of the result of the first round because coming off a season like last season where, you know, it seemingly wasn't even close for the Kings to make the playoffs. Yes, you take that with the new names coming in, a bunch of kids, you know, in, in Kempe and uh, follow and some of the guys on D that, you know, Paul Ledoux was coming off a season. You didn't know how he was going to do. Fattenberg, you didn't know who he was, really. You sign off on the playoffs. And if you look at the big picture of where the Kings are likely headed, this is probably a logical step for them to make the playoffs. Obviously, they'd love to keep playing. they love to be playing right now. But at the same time, you cannot hit the panic button and run around and say this was a failure, right? And, and we'll get into that a little more. But before we get into that, I, I kind of want to talk about honing on Vegas a little more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the series, I kind of tweeted that I hope they go all the way because I respect them and all this. But no more than like a t- few days after that, <laughs> Vegas as a whole got really, really annoying to me. And uh, the, their Twitter account has been annoying since day one, so I'm not even going to count them. Uh, but fans and guys who cover the team and things like that, they really starting to sound a little arrogant to me, Vardy. And it's, it's starting to really, really annoy me. You know, you yes, they eliminated the Kings in four games. But then you start reading these articles like... William Carlson should win the Selkie, you know, and then Gary Lawless on the radio saying something like the LA Kings are living on borrowed time. And then around that time, Ken Campbell of the Hockey News wrote an article about how Drew Doughty was treating the NHL like the Federal League, which is 
by the way, a Slapshot reference for anyone unaware and a movie that he probably saw in his teenage years, giving you a good idea of how in touch he is with today's game and landscape, <laughs> probably. But things like this start to come out, and I'm really starting to get annoyed. And then there was another article. I believe it was Travis Yost, who I think historically has had nothing good to say about the Kings, about how now is the time for the Kings to rebuild. Now is the time. And it was just waves of stupidity coming at me like that and waves of just ridiculous like that yoast article was basically i could summarize for you in few words he said the kings couldn't score against vegas they should rebuild yeah nothing you, backing it up <laughs> nothing and if you look at the the playoff preview he gave of uh, round two for vegas against san jose his entire evidence for how uh, how Vegas is going to play against San Jose was again contingent on, well, look how terribly the Kings did against Vegas. Ergo, Vegas is going to beat San Jose. So it was how like, does that make sense? How, he basically contradicted his own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It was just, it just, I think it's, I think it's really easy to, to completely disregard the narrative in the entire season and look at this thing in a bubble and go new team, expansion team ends up sweeping the team that has won two cups within the last decade and has been held up as a model of consistency in terms of uh, defense and possession stats and things of that nature. I think that's completely disregarding the fact that the Kings are going through a transition period in both their coaching, their management, their player personnel, and it completely disregards the fact that Vegas, quite frankly, is outperforming every expectation, okay, including their own. I, I, there's no way in the world I would believe that if you, if you ask George McPhee and, you know, uh, their whole administration at the beginning of this season when they had 55 defensemen and didn't know who the hell they were going to keep, that like, oh yeah, no, we're totally going to win the Pacific, and you know, William Carlson's going to come out and, you know score 700 percent over what his (laughs) his career you know his best career season was i mean it's just a lot of things have gone right for this team and a lot of things have been set up to go right for them which was the point of how the expansion draft was set up so good on them for being able to capitalize on that good on them for being able to come out play this well good on gerard gallant i think he should get if possible the most credit because he's basically taken this group of guys put them together in a proper way and gotten more out of almost all of them in in one season than some of them have ever had ever before in their career prime example being William Carlson now i think it's it's all well and good again having lived in vegas myself and and everything like that i think it's all well and good for the for the city and the people to get excited about having a good team and rally around that team etc but the losses are coming. They might not come this season, okay, but they are coming and they're going to have bad seasons. And I think it's a little short-sighted on all of these people's parts to get caught up in the excitement of this and lose lose sight of the fact that you don't have enough history, I think, to be as arrogant as, as some of these statements are coming out as being. I think all of us who watch the Kings for a period of time or really any other team – it's great when you make it to the second round. It's great when you play really well. But I, I remember thinking back to myself back in 2012 when they came out and they did 
extremely well against Vancouver and swept St. Louis, I still did not believe for the life of me that they were going to make it to the cup finals. I thought they were seconds away from getting eliminated at any point in time because it is just really, really hard to win a cup. It's just, that's the, that's the reality of it. So when you start saying stuff like cup in one season, sweep everyone, mission 16 and oh, or whatever they want to talk about, like, come on, man, have a little foresight, have a, have, be a bit more of an objective hockey, hockey observer. If you're someone who's covering the team, you know what I mean? I totally agree. And, uh, it, I guess I don't want to defend them, but they have nothing to, you know, compare the season to for them. Right. Um, so fine. But my point is everyone needs to just pump the brakes here. Okay. And starting with the nice people, I know you can't hear me because you're basically out in orbit right now, but if you could try to come back down to earth, you'll probably realize that at any point things can go wrong because of the parody in this league that allowed you to be here in the first place. Right. Exactly. That's the bottom line. And for Kings fans, they need to step, step off the ledge because likewise, there's a lot being made about the Kings demise right now. And it's, it's the fans, it's writers like we just mentioned, but there's a lot of talk about how the LA Kings should be rebuilding right now, and that's just straight up madness to me. And I'll start off with one simple question or one simple request is, show me one cup-winning team, cup-winning core that was blown up, okay? Show me one. Hell, show me one team that was close to a cup that was blown up, and I guarantee you cannot do that because that does not happen all this nonsense about trade dowdy trade kopitar trade quick trade carter blow up the team we need to start over like you need to chill the hell out right now because you cannot blow up this core you will not blow up this core this team will ride these players into dust i promise you that you could take my word for it kopitar dowdy at least those two for sure and jonathan quick will be played until they cannot play anymore for this team. And you could quote me on that right now. I agree. I mean, this whole discussion about potentially not re-signing Dowdy, potentially, you know, trading him instead of throwing 14 million or whatever a year at him because he's on the tail end of his career or whatnot. You're completely disregarding the fact that during this regular season, okay, Kopitar, Brown, Dowdy, had some of the best statistical seasons they've ever had, if not the best, I think in the situ- I think in all of their situations, I'm not sure about Dowdy. He may have tied a career high, but if not, what about their play right now is implying to you that this team would be better off without them than with them? What about their play right now is implying to you that these guys are going to fall off of the cliff next season, especially when a coaching change clearly has brought about this change in their play in the way they approach the game and the results are undeniable. I think we posted that the Kings ended up scoring more goals this season than they have in close to a decade. And yet their goals against was the lowest in the entire league and they won yet another Jennings trophy. So if there's something about that result that is I'm, I'm missing in terms of, in terms of the, the forecast for this team and the players that they have, please explain it to me because Adrian Kempe's playing his first full NHL season, and I certainly have a lot of hope for where he's going to be going for, through the rest of his career. Alex Iafalo came out of nowhere and ended up being a pretty solid winger. I don't think he's going to be a first-line winger for the rest of his career, but I think a 2-3 you know, winger is absolutely within the cards for him. I mean, he's got a motor that doesn't quit. Those are the types of guys that absolutely carry you in the playoffs and will die for the team. Now, if you want to hang 
you know, some blame on Toffoli and Pearson for not showing up and not kind of, you know, continuing their progression. Okay. I think that's, that's a little bit more reasonable. If you want to talk about maybe moving one of those guys for another piece to actually complement where Kopitar is going, how well Brown did this season and, you know, not blow up a, a core, but redefine it, mold it a bit more to where you want this team to go. And I think, Blake clearly has a vision in his mind of where he wants this team to go in terms of its build. I think those are reasonable thoughts, but to talk about like trading Dowdy to what end? I mean, what, what is, what is your plan? You're going to have Clegg come in and all automatically be your franchise defenseman for the next 15 years. Like you, you, you don't have teams that don't have guys like Dowdy win cups and you don't get rid of guys like Dowdy when you've won cups with them. Cause there's, 31 other teams that are ready to pick up Drew Doughty and sign him for $14 million for like seven seasons. No problem. No easily, problem. Easily. And the, another part of what you just said is if you trade Drew Doughty, then you got to start thinking about trading everyone else. Because again, I've said this before. And even though I just said that you will never, you can't show me one example of a cup winning core that's been blown up. You can't show me one example of like a team that was close to the cup that got blown up. Vancouver, right? Vancouver mm-hmm. in 2011 got as close as you're going to get. Game 7 of the Cup Finals. And you know what they did? They rode that core until they could not ride them anymore, until the Sedins retired, right? Uh, I've had a few people tell me, oh, what about Toronto? They traded Fundo and Kessel. Toronto was a tire fire. They were not a good team. They were the worst team in the NHL when they made those trades. Right. So don't come to me and tell me, like, look what they did and look where they are now. Okay, th- I am talking about a core that has done it, that knows how to win. Right, because you can bring up that point all the time. I mean, there's teams like Carolina that have been building a core for six freaking years. They keep stocking first-round defensemen, top-flight wingers, and you know, trying to find things. That I think people are forgetting. People are forgetting that just because you draft these guys in the first round, and just because they're they're touted as being these guys, it doesn't mean that if you trade Dowdy and you stock up on four first-round picks, or you trade Kopitar somehow, which is not going to happen, obviously. But hypothetically, if you get rid of these guys just because they're above the age of 30 now, and you're going to get a bunch of first-round prospects, that doesn't mean in five years from now those first-round prospects are going to automatically replace those players or lead you to winning a cup. It's just it hasn't happened. It it. It's it, it, it does not happen. You don't win those trades. You never win those trades. Uh, I can't. I mean, I, I have to look it up, but I can't think of too many superstar trades where the team that traded the superstar won the trade. Um, it. <laughs> I just don't see. Maybe you could point to Carter and the Carter and Richards trades, but you could debate who won those trades, right? You could debate. Right. Philly did very well trading. Uh, you know, for Voracek and. I'm not sure who else they got for Carter. Philly did very well getting Shen and Simmons for Richards. But guess what? The Kings got two cups. And you want to put that up against hopes and dreams? Fine, you do it. But And I, mean, I think Philly's a great example because look at – so look at what they thought they were getting out of those trades, right? They had a guy like Richards. They had a guy like Carter's that, that both of those guys were supposed to be kind of their franchise guys that they drafted in the first round and clearly very talented players. And they traded them with the thought that, okay, we're not getting what we want out of them. They're kind of getting older, not really sure what's going to happen, even though both of them now in hindsight were on pretty sweetheart deals long-term. And so they brought in Shen, Voracek, 
Simmons because they thought these guys that they were going to trade for, which who were younger and maybe still hadn't peaked, were going to play well enough to carry them to a cup. Okay. How many cups has Philly won with those guys? For as well as Voracek has played, for as well as Simmons has played, my point is just because you get a player who's a one-to-one or maybe a good player, that does not mean that it's going to lead you to win a cup. So if you were to talk to me about having a guy that's homegrown and has led you to two cups, knows what it takes to get there, showing no signs of slowing down and, in fact, has gotten better – why would you not make every effort in the world to keep a guy like that? Because people just are just in sense. panic mode, right? And again, with the Philly example, you know, that might be one where people say, see, they they blew it up and they were just in the cup final, like two seasons before or one season before. Right. But, but they had Claude Giroux. They haven't been back since. The, the core, but the core was not blown up. They took two pieces of the core and flipped them to make their core somewhat bigger or more young, whatever. But Claude Giroux was still there. You know, they still right. had pieces on that team. They were like, no, we're going to keep these pieces and maybe change what's around them. So, again, my point is everyone needs to calm down. Kings people, calm down. There will be no rebuild of this team. This team, like Vardy just said, is coming off three career years from three players that are vitally important to the team. Jonathan Quick had a magnificent playoff performance. This is the this is the core you build around, and that's what the Kings are trying to do right now, right? You you bring your eye follow, you bring your campe. They're pieces to surround that core, and I think moving forward, that's what's going to happen with this team. They're going to look to add scoring. I think that's obvious. I think that's been obvious since even last season that this is going to be a work in progress to add scoring. So now, like you mentioned, Vardy, Ayafalo is probably not going to be the first line first line left winger next season because I think the Kings. One of their main priorities is to get a left winger for Kopitar and Brown. And I think they're going to go and try to do that. Or a winger, a right winger, move Brown to the left, whatever. But get ready for more of the same from the Kings. I think they're going to get better. I think this series being a 4-0 sweep, coming out of it, I feel a hell of a lot more positive than losing to San Jose in five two years ago. 100%. The the way that series went, everything, the way the team was going, the looming contract of Lucic and all that, do we keep him doing? The way the team showed up is way different to me from this, uh, when you compare this one to the last one, and coming out of this series, going into this offseason, I feel pretty positive about where the team's going. Yeah, and I think think some of the talk about Dowdy, it may be people trying to, I don't know, soften the blow in their head a little bit because there's all this talk about him and the stuff that he said about like, oh, I just want to go wherever I can win cups and like the the constant feeding from the Toronto media that like he'll never be able to resist the allure, the siren's call of coming to play on the Leafs. He's a good Ontario boy or, you know, yada, yada, what, whatever they like to spin it as. Um, I think it's people trying to convince themselves that – that if that happens, that, oh, we didn't want him in the first place. I'm here to tell you, and I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm novel in this concept. I'm here to tell you that the Kings are going to make every single effort possible to keep Drew Doughty for as long as possible. And I think that involves not just giving him all the money that he not only deserves but should get. I think that means also showing him that – They are not looking to blow things up and start over again. They are going to keep making cup runs during the prime of his career with the intention of maximizing his ability and the ability of guys like Kopitar, Brown, and the newer kids who are going to be coming in over the next couple seasons. That's 
what led them to their cups the first time, that's what's going to lead them to the cups the second time around. And they expect Drew to be part of the leadership group going forward with that. And I think he believes it, man. I, it's hard for me to, to see how this season went, even with the sweep, and, and not feel hopeful. Honestly, I, I, the, I'm looking at how the standings played out and how on the last game of the season, you know, Anaheim, San Jose and L.A. all completely flip flopped their positions. So if you if you disregard the fact that Vegas came out guns blazing, you know, and keep in mind that the Kings are right up there with them in terms of the Pacific Division lead until around December where they hit their traditional slump. I I'm very, very hopeful for the Kings future. There's nothing about the rest of the teams in this league or in that division that makes me believe that the Kings can't be exactly where they were, if not higher going forward. So please disregarding the four game series. Okay. A team that is clearly playing extremely well right now. Okay. And if you don't, if you want to, if you want to say that I'm delusional, then maybe take a look at how they played against San Jose game one and tell me how delusional I really am. But if you can just step back from that, and look at this regular season and look at how they came out with a new coaching staff, with a bunch of changes to the bottom six, with new management, with a new approach to playing the game. And tell me that there's that you're not satisfied with where they were. I mean, you, you got to be able to, you know, objectively observe those things, even if you are a fan. Yeah. And there's a uh, part of like observing those things is realizing that next season, the team will look somewhat different. This is not. The Kings aren't in a right. You know, this isn't the completed picture. Correct. This the Kings are in a place right now where they were in twenty whatever fifteen sixteen when you were like, all right, you know these guys did it. Now we're gonna try to do it again with the same people. It's a totally different time right now. This is a retool. And by the way, the NHL moving forward, you're not gonna see too many rebuilds anymore. You're gonna see retools on the fly, right? You're gonna your your core is gonna get older. Younger players are gonna be brought in so that they become the core by the time the older players move out. That's how it's going to be. Vancouver might be the only team where I could look at and say they were basically just waiting for the Sedins to retire out of loyalty, out of respect, whatever you want to call it. They but the, even they started injecting some youth while the Sedins were playing. And now exactly. you're, you're looking at maybe a few years until Vancouver is competitive, but. Alex Edler, for example, is still on that team and he's still going to probably going to be on that team because he does the job and they're going to bring in young guys to learn from them. This blowing up scorched earth BS, it, it does not happen. It will not happen. Moving forward, you're going to see it rarely, if any examples of it, rarely happening at all in the NHL. And that's what the Kings are going to do. Now, next season, you're going to look at Gabe Velarde, who has a real good shot of making the team. Andre Kopitar is born in 1987. Let's not act like he's 35 years old and his legs are falling off and, and trade him well. He's still valuable. His value, this is another one that drives me insane, dude. His value will never be higher. Okay, so we should have just traded him after 2012 then. He was just coming off a cup, right? Uh, who won the Conn Smythe quick? Why didn't we trade him? His value was never going to be higher than that. Why did we keep those guys? It's asinine. It's stupid. And I hear it all the time. His value will never be higher. Okay. So the Oilers should have traded Wayne Gretzky after he scored 92 goals, 212 points, 215 <laughs> points. Because he was never going to be better than that. So this is the stuff that kind of drives me crazy. It's not everyone, obviously. It's, But it's a surprisingly large amount of people. So... <laughs> just everyone calm down i'm gonna calm down too vardy i'm a little fired up today i know <laughs> you take are a breath, too buddy. I'm gonna take, take a, breath. a breath i'm gonna take a breath so let's 
Take a sip of some chamomile. You know, just <laughs> let's decompress. Let let's, let's talk about where the Kings are headed next season because I think I it's like in it. a positive place. Um, I we, agree. We mentioned the first line probably is going to need some scoring depth. Um, I know in our conversa- conversation, it was funny actually. You mentioned the Kings should go out and get Jeff Skinner, which obviously he's Carolina's basically prized piece on that roster. But then Elliot Friedman kind of mentions that. Carolina might be shopping him and his it was more of an opinion more of a guess I think from Friedman's part was that he believes the Kings would be interested pretty obvious statement but yeah I mean that would be a nice little addition to the Kings top six yeah I mean it just it lends further credence to my theory that Elliot Friedman has been hacking into our text conversations (laughs) this entire time because uh I mean, if not him, the entire hockey media, because the other name that we had mentioned, and then again, I don't know, we're not we're not prophets in talking about this, but we had talked about Max Pacioretty as another potential guy right. that I would look at. Um, the, the key thing that both of those guys have going for them is that they would be guys that the Kings would pursue in a trade. So first and foremost, just discussing the the people that they would be going after. I don't see them going after anyone as a UFA because is you're going to end up paying those guys way more than you would to try and get someone in a trade. Um, granted, both Pacioretty and Skinner just have a year left, and then maybe we find ourselves back in a Lucic position, which was unav- unenviable last time. But I think if you have the opportunity to bring in a guy like that in a trade, even to get one season out of them at a lower uh you know, average value versus trying to sign a guy like James Van Riemsdyk, who would be phenomenal to have on this team, I think. But, you know, you're not going to be able to carve out $7 million a year to pay James Van Riemsdyk, not when you have Dowdy's contract looming, which, again, they're going to sign Drew Dowdy. And it's probably going to be for like north of $12 million a year or something right. silly like that, right. especially if he wins another Norris this year, which is certainly a possibility. Um, so I think realistically, if you look, if you just look at the numbers, even with a cap going up and everything, and you just plot it out for the next few seasons, the most realistic thing is that the Kings are probably going to trade for a winger. And I think if you were to look at who would be the movable pieces for said winger, um, Toffoli, Pearson, I think were the two that come to mind. I've heard chatter that maybe Muzzin or Martinez as well. I, I, I sincerely, I don't know if Martinez is going to have enough value to get you someone like that. Um, but I think if you were to look to, if you were to look at Toffoli and Pearson and say, okay, we, I think we know what we got with these guys. Yeah, they're capped out. I think yeah. I, I believe that totally. Yeah, I think I think you know I love them to death. I love them when they're playing and and when they're playing well. I you know they're creating lots of lasting memories for us as Kings fans. But if you want to look objectively. You're looking probably at Tyler Toffoli being a 30-goal, 60-point guy in his best seasons. You're looking at Tanner Pearson being a 25-goal, 50-point guy in his best seasons, right? Um, that's the kind of guy that if we – you know, not to use the phrase that clearly was a bit of a trigger there, but if you want to talk about their value not being higher, I think those are the guys that maybe you look at moving at the point where their value is never going to be higher than right now. I don't think you necessarily do that with – franchise cornerstone defensemen or centers i think wingers are and this has been a philosophy for the kings for a time now i think wingers are the movable pieces that you use to bring in the guys that can maybe give you a bit more and 
take you over the hump, especially if you're looking at prospects like Gabe Velarde or Kale Clegg to be able to come in and make the lineup and contribute to the effect that, you know, Pearson and Toffoli or Martinez are already doing. I think, I, I don't know what the Kings own expectations were of Adrian Kempe, but the fact that he was able to come in and put up like a 35, 40 point, I think it was 37 points is what he ended with. And he had a really nice little run there when Carter was hurt, where he was really contributing. And clearly they envision him as being a center for them in the future. I think the beauty of, of being able to bring in a guy like that who contributes immediately in this first pro season, and you see his evolution, is that it makes guys like Toffoli or Pearson who've been around a little longer, who are going to command more money in their next contract, more movable for an asset that is going to contribute more immediately when you're trying to you know, hit that cup window. I totally agree. And, and given their age, given the fact that both their contracts are basically expiring pretty soon, it might it might be the move you want to make. Um, I would see. Here's the thing with Pearson. To me, I do like Pearson, right? And everything I you do said, too, man. yeah, everything you said, his tenacity, especially this season, his net foot net front presence, his his dedication to screening the goalie, like scoring ugly goals and all that. It was it was great, but at the same time, I feel like you know Alex Iafalo might become Tanner Pearson. Right. sooner than you think the way they play there i think it's very similar i think obviously uh, pearson has the size advantage and all that the experience but to me if you look at a unique player a more unique player of the two Tofoldi probably has the more i guess different skill set he's a shooter he's a sniper he can score when he's on so maybe if i had to pick one maybe i say try to get pearson back whatever or try to get pearson moving so moved. you could get something back moved um on defense i think you know for all the things we've said about him for all you know the whipping boy labels we've given him i'd prefer to maybe keep jake muzzin again we said the exact same words that we're criticizing about muzzin is like you, they should have traded him when his value was as high as it was but our reasoning was a little more different than the panicking of like it's never going to be better because we thought Jake Muzzin was an overrated player in general. Nothing against him. I just don't think he's the seventh best Canadian defenseman in the world. That's basically where all that came from, where our thought process came from. And that's why we were kind of saying should have moved him when you could have. When you're talking about the other guys we mentioned, the Kopitars, Dowdy's, they are elite players in the league. They're top 10 in their positions. And right. it's not even a question of that. So, right. Jake Muzzin is never going to get nominated for Norris. No. Okay? That's <laughs> Jake Muzzin's not a number one defenseman. Jake Muzzin isn't the kind of defenseman that controls a game. He just comes in. He's a good kind of a support player for your number one defenseman, things like that. So that's a little different. Anyway, I, I, Martinez or Muzzin, I wouldn't be totally against moving either of them i would prefer to move martinez but like you said the value likely won't be there i think given muzzin's age and all that i think he's he's a lot more valuable but then comes the idea of you're talking about the team that just won the jennings trophy so mm -hmm. what is your position of strength your position of strength is on your back end yes we saw what happens when you lose a couple of those guys and your defense becomes a borderline minor league defense so that's another thing to consider but i don't think there's any question the kings are going to be looking for secondary scoring uh, scoring beyond Andre Kopitar, beyond Dustin Brown, beyond Jeff Carter, someone else. And a guy like Pacioretty that you mentioned, imagine him kind of just floating in the background, not being the center of attention and just popping in 30 goals. You know, 
this is the city this is the team this is the place where a guy like that i think can thrive um not unlike phil kessel you know not unlike some of these guys who have gone to other places and suddenly they're not front and center and they've performed very very well yeah and i think the kessel example is a good one we talked about this earlier where i was trying to draw parallels between pittsburgh and la and um and granted i think just objectively they have more outright talented players i don't think anyone's going to argue that Crosby and Malkin are are not more talented than Kopitar and Carter. But um, if you want to draw parallels, they, you know, Crosby and Malkin won their first cup when they were much younger. They made it two cup finals in a row, won one, lost one. And then they had a period of several seasons where they were making the playoffs, but just not, not breaking through, not getting to the cup. And then it took injecting a guy like Kessel and bringing in young guys like Jake Gensel, uh, Rust, um, and obviously Latang was there throughout that period of time. And then suddenly you have enough pieces to make it another couple cup runs, right? So in this analogy, who who ends up being the Kings Phil Kessel, right? right? Who ends up being the guy who's able to not just contribute, but drive the play, drive scoring when Kopitar and Carter maybe aren't scoring or are being keyed on. And I don't think the Kings had that. I think when they had their second cup run, again, I'm, I'm a bit of a fanboy, but I think Marion Gabrick picked up that torch pretty well during that second cup run, put up 14 no, goals. That's, and so, I don't think that's – how could anyone argue that? He was – I'm just – He you know, was the missing piece for that second Stanley Cup. He was yeah. – he, he, he led the playoffs in goals and clutch yeah. goals, I might add. Right. And during that cup finals, you during that cup run, you also had Justin Williams coming out and having a obviously Conn Smythe worthy season. Um, and so I think I, I think the Kings have constantly been trying to find the guy who's going to be their next Justin Williams. You know, I think they had hopes that Pearson was going to be that guy. Now maybe I follow is going to be that guy, and and they, they very well may be. Um, but I don't think that you. I again, I think all of this kind of keys to the possibility of them moving one of these younger forwards for a guy who's going to be a more steady play driver kind of player. And I think the ones that come to mind immediately to me as available players who can play like that would be Pacioretty and certainly Jeff Skinner, um, both of whom, you know, would cost you a decent amount in the trade. Um, but the contract value, at least for the one season you would have them before attempting to resign them would be very reasonable. And Pacioretty might cost you even less. He's coming off of a down year. He's coming off of an injury. Um, and Montreal, I, I think those, Montreal probably feels the pressure to trade him. Man, that, that and Montreal too. is just – Montreal, you want to talk tire fires. I have no idea what's going on there right now. No, they're a disaster. They're a disaster and it was – they've been a disaster since last year. I don't think – the fans like management. I don't think the players trust management. Uh, I feel bad for Jonathan Drouin. He was so excited to go there, and they just you know dipped him in crap and said, "Welcome, welcome to the club. This yeah. is what we There's are." There's a great example, by the way, of a team that traded someone when their value was never going to be higher with PK Subban because they thought they were getting a guy in Weber who was a more steady presence and didn't have as much of the personality as Subban. I'm pretty sure Nashville's happy with how that trade went right now. I mean that's a that's a slam dunk trade for Nashville to move out an aging player making as much as Weber was making for a younger. But that's what I'm saying, yeah. right? If you were to ask the people in Montreal, 
they would say absolutely his value is never going to be higher. Right. He doesn't fit with the attitude of this team. Weber still got it. You know, like that's the, this, this is a mentality that pers- that persists when people when teams are losing. Taylor Hall, and then suddenly you start thinking that you're yeah. Taylor <laughs> Hall, fantastic. The Oilers. You want to talk about an example of a franchise that's been like blowing it up year after year after year because the hopes that the draft was going to be. They have the best player in the world right now. Unquestionably, they have the best player in the world right now, and they did not make the playoffs. So try and explain that to me. Right, and he was a number one overall pick, right? That comes from... One of like six number one overall picks. That comes from being terrible. So you want to talk about a lot of people say there is no guarantee that the Kings will ever sniff a cup again with this core. You're telling me there's a guarantee that if the Kings blow it up for first overall picks, they're going to have a sniff at the cup? Look at Edmonton. They're not... Tell me that I think Edmonton will be better next year, but tell me that anyone going into next season is going to think that Edmonton's a cup contender coming off this season. You know, it's you're as good as your last game, ladies and gentlemen, always. You're as good as your last game in this league. And right now, that's why everyone thinks the Kings should blow it up because their last game wasn't that great. Should the Oilers be blowing it up, Vardy? Maybe they should. They're not getting anywhere. Maybe they should trade Connor McDavid. While his value is as high as it is now, it will never be higher. Trade him. I don't know about him, but they, they could certainly use to move a couple pieces and tweak things around. But this is not an Oilers podcast. Last thing I'm going to do is encourage another Western Conference team to not be terrible. Right. Right. And I again... For the Kings, moving forward, I think the Pacific's still going to be pretty wide open next season. I think Calgary got maybe an upgrade in the coaching department. They're still the same team. They should be better. Edmonton, I can't imagine they won't be better than what they are right now. They have Certainly to Certainly can't be worse. They can't be worse, so I think they're going to be better. Um, you might see a team like the Sharks maybe falter, even though I thought they would last season. I think Anaheim might be in a little bit of trouble because they didn't have the best season, sure, numbers wise they had a better season than the kings but yeah you want to talk about a team that i would be worrying about coming off of a sweep granted we're a king's podcast but if i was a ducks fan i would be certainly more worried about their future than i am about the king's future yeah because uh, their core is actually dustin brown's age not kopitar's age not drew dowdy's age you're talking about two to three years difference there they're two guys that they rest their entire franchise on are likely their two oldest players on the team. Well, they're two oldest forwards anyway, because for whatever reason, they still have Francois Beaujamais and Kevin BX on the roster for reasons I could never they explain to you. They drive a mean age. It's great. <laughs> that specifically, so gets Laugh and Perry don't feel like they're the oldest guys. Although I think, is Kessler probably older than them? Kessler's in that draft too. They're all 03s. Yeah. They're, they're all from yeah. that 03 draft with Brown and... Big yeah. Brian Boyle and Dion Phaneuf and all this. So, right. and Carter, Carter Richards, good draft by the way. Fantastic. The <laughs> rookie think, cards from that year were terrific. I think Shea Weber went in the second round, just to give you an idea of the insanity of that draft. But, but yeah. So, again, you could say trade if you're a Ducks fan. You could say trade gets Laugh and Perry now. I don't think they are. That's just. A, yeah. I just don't think they're gonna. First of all, those contracts are tough to move second of all you i think they're gonna need those guys to a certain degree and kessler too because the raquels of the world and all these young players they have coming up richie and when sam Steele, best name in hockey comes up <laughs> they are going to need people to lean on and that's why those guys are there it's going to be transitional and that's how the kings are going to be i'm telling you right yeah. now it's going to be a transitional team 
Um, let's talk about Gabe Velarde. How excited are you? How well do you think he can actually do? And if he does make the team, is this a situation where Gabe Velarde is going to be your third line center and maybe Adrian Kempe slides to the wing or maybe Adrian Kempe slides to the two C position and Jeff Carter moves to the wing in his twilight seasons? I think, I think there's nothing but hope and rave reviews so far with how he's done and how well they've been doing in the playoffs. Um, uh, well, how well he did in the playoffs. I think they're eliminated by now, but I until think, recently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just a trend, right? You can't be, you can't be anyone in the LA Kings pipeline without being eliminated from the playoffs right now. Right. It, it's an organizational mandate. Um, but I think there's nothing but rave reviews and hope about him going into this season. I think, um, slotting him, him slotting him in as a three C is a very, very realistic goal and giving him some power play time, maybe playing him 14 minutes or so 14, 15 minutes a, a game, something like that. Um, and hopefully Adrian Kempe bumps up to 14, 15 minutes a game because I, I don't see them trying to play Kempe, um, on the second line. I think, I think they, they want to leave that second line kind of being run by Carter and whoever is outfitted with him, you know, be it Pearson and someone else or whatnot. But I, I definitely see them maybe trying to play the third and fourth line a bit equally and maybe having Velarde center one of them and Kempe center the other one. Um, it's it's a good problem to have. I think when you're, when you're trying to figure out like where you can put Adrian Kempe, a guy who's actually a pretty versatile player. Um, I think it's a good problem to have, but I, I fully expect him to at the very least get an eight to nine game look minimum. He's getting that. I think yeah. that's, I think that's a lock I would say because if he was old enough to go to the AHL, correct. they would, they would play him 40 games a season. I think the only thing that's going to keep them potentially from keeping him up the entire season is that he's 19 and if they go beyond nine games then they burn a contract year and so they got to be really prepared to play the guy to the point where he's going to, it's going to further his development you know and so that's always it's always a tough question with these players is is playing 14 minutes a night at best and um you know getting practice time with the big guys yeah. and power play time is that is that better for your development than going back and playing, you know, 22 minutes a night as the team's number one center and just racking up points against subpar I think talent. yes. Like what's – I think it is better because – Yes, which, oh, y- yes, okay. yes to playing up in the NHL because this kid, I think he averaged 2.3 points a game. Um, yeah. He's – as a matter of fact, it, it might be detrimental to his development to go back to the OHL because he now will start picking up bad habits. He will start picking up things that like – it's it right. just seems like it's more too easy. Yes, game. it seems like it's too easy for him now. Bring him up to the NHL, burn the year of his ELC. At the minimum, like you said, he's going to get the nine game look, and I think they're going to keep him on the roster because sending him down to dominate the the junior again, the the junior level again. I just don't see how that's good for anyone. How is that good for the Kings? How is that good for the kid? Yes, you could say it's good for the Kings because they'll still have three years of his entry level contract, but at this point, you you're trying to make a transition with this team. You're trying to become a better team. Um, bring him up, play him. And Kale Clake, for example, he is AHL eligible. So right. the likelihood of him starting in uh, Ontario is much, much higher than 
you know, Velarde not being a full-time NHLer next year. I think correct. I think that's where we're at with those two kids. Um, I'm trying to think, are there any other prospects? Are there any other? I mean, I don't think Anderson Dolan's no, I don't think quite there yet. I don't think. I think he'll be in the AHL. I think he's AHL eligible. I think he should go there. Yeah. Um, same, I mean, those are the two. And if you're bringing up two guys a year, I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good pace to be going at. You, you know, you don't want to be bringing in like five rookies a season like they did like they did this year. Also, I don't think that's. Don't forget about Daniel Brickley, who right. by virtue who a cup of coffee. By virtue of signing that contract, already burned a year of his entry-level contract, yeah. by the way. And they were not afraid to let him play. I mean, they were just no. like, yeah, let's see what you got. And obviously, it's one game, but he did not look too out of place. Um, I think there was even one play where he moved the puck pretty well. I was like, hey, looking good. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes this roster next mm-hmm. year, straight out of camp, if he's uh, on the de- on the decor for the LA Kings in October. And... All of a sudden, you look at up and down the defensive roster, and I was this was my next question to you: Is do the Kings need to upgrade on defense now? Uh, when you look at the way Vegas kind of shredded them a little bit with their speed, is there a changing of the guard coming in the defense? Uh, realistically, Dion Phaneuf will be here. You can't trade him. Uh, mm-hmm. Drew Doughty will be here. Obviously, the rumor of Muzzin Martinez possibly moving. I think Derek Forbert still here. So that really leaves you one or two spots. Uh, for a player, and you have in the mix Fanberg, Ledoux, now Brickley, um, a couple of kids even in the AHL. I don't think McDermott's still out of the question. Alex Lintiunemi, who's who's been somewhat highly praised recently in recent years, he might have a look. So all of a sudden, you kind of have a bunching up on the Kings' defense, and right. That's the next question: is how different will the Kings' defense look next season? I honestly, I don't think it's going to look too drastically different. I think they're going to be pretty comfortable with, say, say they went into camp with Dowdy, Muzzin, Martinez, Fanuf as your top four guys, and then you figure it out between Forbert, Fantenberg, um, Brickley, Clegg as your and bottom Ledoux. two or th- and Ledoux. <laughs> it's I, a lot. I, I think. I think they're. I agree with you, but I think they're. You know, they had Fullen this year, who they've pretty much said that they're not going to resign him. Uh, Gravel, who's played a handful of games, they're not going to. They're not going to try and keep him. And so you take two guys out of the rotation in that way, and I think you just see how it goes. You know, you don't have to make every single trade before the puck drops in October, right? I think if I think their target in the off season becomes getting a better winger for the top line, and Again, if you're looking at a team that with this defensive core, they were able to win another Jennings trophy. You, I, I think you're hard pressed to make an argument that like anything really needs to change per se. I think you just see how it plays out. You see how some of those younger guys can come in, what type of steps they take in their development. And then if the opportunity presents itself, kind of like I did this midseason for us to get Fanuf as an upgrade, then you do it. And if you know things are OK, then you stand pat. I think the winger becomes the target for the offseason draft period. And then you just see if and when you need to move a defenseman by closer to the deadline. That's that's how I would approach it. Yeah, you know, I probably agree with you. I think I think what you say has a lot of weight to it strictly because I don't think Rob Blake is the guy to go out and, and you know, trade 
picks, right? Trade like first or anything for a player or anything like that. He's going to make hockey deals. And when you're making hockey deals and you want to protect your picks, your options are somewhat limited. And if he's going to make a trade, like you said, he's probably going to make it for uh, a winger and not a defenseman. Mm-hmm. So I I wouldn't be shocked at all if the Kings move in to this to the 19 season with the same defense. Give guys looks. I think Kale Gleig's going to get some games. I, I uh, he might make the team right out of camp. I don't know. I think Brickley probably makes the team. I think it's time to give Ladue a spot on the team. Uh, again, debatable. Some people don't like his game. Some people do. I personally do. I think yes, he could you know benefit from gaining a few pounds he could benefit from being a little bit stronger but again like i said i like his maneuverability i like the fact that when these fast and hard four checks come he's a guy who could escape those four checks uh, christian folan not that guy Derek forward probably not that guy so we'll see where they go moving forward i'm really curious about cal peterson i think in my mind i know that he'll be in ontario all of next season mm-hmm. i think jack campbell probably has the backup position on lockdown but I would also only be mildly surprised if he does get some games in the NHL because he is looking like a real good goalie. And you know what my favorite thing about him is, Vardy? And you can appreciate this as a shooter. He catches with his right hand, which mm. which can mess you up real good when you're going to shoot on a goalie. Obviously, the old Ricky DiPietro. <laughs> obviously, these are NHL players, not beer league all stars, so they will probably adjust faster. But I do, I have always enjoyed goalies who could catch with their right hand for whatever reason. <laughs> for whatever reason, it's just a little oddity for you, you know. Um, I, I think, yeah, kind of. Just focusing on Ledoux just for a split second there. Um, I like his game. I, I, I think if you want to talk about a guy who at this point in his career would benefit more so from being in the NHL, constantly being played against the better talent and practicing with the big club to kind of see where he's going to end up projecting out to. I think that's a guy that you that you do that. I know there's there's some question of, of his um, how seasoned he is, how ready he is. And I, I think a lot of those things will get answered if they give him the opportunity to actually develop within the big club at this point. I think he's done whatever he's going to do at the AHL. I think he's been Ontario's best defenseman for a couple seasons now. And he, I don't think he's looked so drastically out of place when he's been playing on the Kings that, that to me – you have to play Oscar Fantenberg 30 minutes more a night than you got to play him. You know what I mean? It just, it just seems silly to me. And yeah. And for whatever it's worth, he's contributed to the score sheet. You know, anytime he's been playing, he's contributed to the score sheet. He scored a big goal for the Kings in the playoffs. One of the few they scored in the playoffs. I don't think you can disregard those things, man. That it's a guy who's got the instincts to make something happen. And, you know, you want him to be able to develop to be maybe your next Martinez or something like that. Right. Do you think maybe the Kings look at him as a trade chip at any point, given given all that? Traffic? I suppose that's possible. I think I think it depends on how well Clegg looks coming in. I think if Clegg comes in and he looks head and shoulders better than Ledoux, then it makes it much easier for you to trade Ledoux based on his potential and the fact that you've given him a couple of years of development. I think teams would definitely be interested in any defenseman that the Kings are willing to part with given their history of developing 
defenseman yeah. thus far. No, that's that was a thought that crossed my mind too. If if the team is still not sold on Paul Ledoux for whatever reason, I think maybe he becomes a trade chip because uh, I think Paul Ledoux and maybe if you want to add to that, will probably get you at least a look at a decent winger who's let's say on an expiring contract yeah that's not on a long-term deal something like that so that that could be an option um and we can't talk about the defense Vardy without talking about f-ing Slava Voinov must we we must because it's it's out there I think we've avoided this topic as much as we can because I just don't I'm never really comfortable talking about it I'm never really I don't know looking forward to to broaching the, the subject of Slava Voinov in any way. But let's do it because it's out there. People are talking about it because apparently he's he, like that SNL skit that was on a few months ago where they're all sitting around at a dinner table and uh, someone brings up the completely uncomfortable subject of, uh, of like sexual harassment in the workplace or something. And no one feels comfortable talking about it. Basically, yeah. And again, the, the reason I bring this up is because of the chatter of his – upcoming attempt to return to the national hockey league there's reports that are as many as five teams have inquired about him on some level there's also been a report that the kings are not at all interested in bringing him back there's also reports that the kings are interested in bringing him back so i don't i'm not going to spend too much time on it but realistically speaking let's start with this should the kings attempt to bring him back is that something that they oh. <laughs> that they even should be considering? Is that something that should be, without question, not on their radar? And do you think he does eventually make an NHL return? I'll let you answer, and I will weigh in as well. Uh, yep, you go first. <laughs> yep. I am a good friend today, aren't I? Okay. I will say this. Gently. So, um, if we're drawing comparisons to other leagues, okay, the NFL certainly comes to mind. The NBA's had its fair share of guys who've gotten into trouble for domestic violence, etc. They have been allowed to come back and play more so in past years than more recent years. I think the moral ambiguity of that and how that affects the fan base is something that definitely has to be taken into account. I think that if you were looking at it from a purely hockey standpoint, you have a skilled guy who's not in the NHL. Clearly, the Kings would benefit from having him play on their roster. That being said, I don't think that you can bring in any player don't laugh I'm just saying you're doing so well (laughs) I'm I'm a born politician I know right go ahead that being said I don't think that you bring in players and maybe this is just old fashioned that hockey just has this different persona to it this different feel to it that maybe rightly or wrongly the NFL and the NBA get away with a bit more but I don't think that you bring in guys to an NHL team just because they're talented. I think locker room fan presence, the projection of the team to the city and the league is very, very important to NHL teams. I don't think that they're in the business of rehabilitating players to society 
maybe as much as I've seen with the NFL and the NBA. And so, and, and, and maybe there's a team out there that will make that point. Maybe there is a team out there that's willing to take that risk and say, Hey, you know, everyone's made mistakes. He's rehabilitated himself. He's been cleared by the league. The charges have been dropped really. So what's, you know, when do we give this person a second chance? Maybe there's a team out there that wants to make that point. I don't think the Kings should be that team. I think, I think if in any way, shape or form, the NHL says that we have no legal standing to keep him from playing in this league. And if a team wants to sign him, they're allowed to do so. I think the Kings should trade his rights to a different team, because I think that's the morally correct thing to do um, for both the psyche of the club, the fan base, and, and quite frankly, for, you know, even if even if there's no actual legal, you know, charge any further or any further legal workup or anything that's happening with this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I think the evidence and, and the story itself is convincing enough. This isn't, you know, it's convincing enough where I think you have to take it seriously. But that being said, you have guys like Patrick Kane who, you know, abused cab drivers were accused of rape and cleared in some very, very shady circumstances and stuff like that. And you, you don't hear anyone talking about that when he's out there playing, you hear about his talent, you hear about what a fantastic, you know, contribution he is to USA hockey and the cornerstone original six franchise. It is the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, you could sit there all day and talk about the charges that he's been brought up, has been brought up against him. So I think it's strange how people's memories work Sometimes it's it's a very much what have you done for me lately situation in sports. And I think if, you know, if say Slava Voinov ends up getting signed by, I don't know, Florida, hypothetically, and ends up scoring big goals in the playoffs and leads him to a cup. You think they're going to sit there and be like, man, this cup is tainted because Slava Voinov scored those goals. Absolutely not, because. If you want to talk like that, no one in Chicago should be proud of what Patrick Kane's doing for them, in my opinion. Wow, this is going to be tough to follow up now. I mean, right? do, you covered uh, Mike drop. You covered it as well as I could have certainly. And um, I swear to God, if you say "yup," I agree. <laughs> no, next no, topic. No. <laughs> no. One thing I'll I'll keep it shorter because you did you did kind of paint with a broad brush there and you kind of covered the whole canvas um i do believe in second chances i don't believe that this guy should be lynched you know in public for this i think yes it was a mistake yes it's deplorable and all this should he be allowed to play in the nhl again yes he should that's my opinion should the la kings be eager to jump at this no and i'll and the reason is it will linger you know it will linger it will be a distraction. It will always be in the back of your mind. It will always be whispers of it. And it's just the PR, you know, nightmare that will probably follow it. The fact that another thing is that the Kings were the team he was on when this happened. The Kings were the team that let him practice. Rob Blake was the assistant GM of the team that let that happen. Yes, maybe it wasn't his call, but it's still there. He 
needs to get away from Los Angeles. Los Angeles needs to get away from him. I think he's a hell of a player. I don't hold too much, you know, ill will against him. I think I'll never defend what he did. I'll never defend him, the human being. But I think after all this time, and I think, believe me, if he does come back, the NHL will slap him with another suspension. He will pay his debt to society, whatever you want to call it. He should be allowed to play hockey again. I think it's, and we mentioned this a few episodes ago, sports should not be this sacred. You know, I think he's done his time. He's going to do more time, guys. Believe me, he's not done with it. I think he should be allowed to play in the league. I think the Kings should get far away from him as possible. I think it's kind of like a fresh start for everyone. Do it. Let him go. You want to trade his rights, trade his rights fine but i think as los angeles kings kings player he should be done you know you got to put your fandom aside for that one he would be a tremendous addition to our defense believe me he would be we'd be a better team with him but as an organization i think we'd be a better organization without him yeah i think another example that just popped into my mind as you were talking about him getting away from la and i realize this is not it's not even apples to oranges i'm comparing like apples to rutabagas but um, Danny Healy comes to yeah, mind yeah. and everything that he went through in Atlanta with uh, Dan Snyder, you know, a fellow player dying in a car crash where Danny Heatley was the driver of the car, um, was speeding, was not under the influence, but was definitely speeding. I mean, he was responsible for someone's life being lost. Whether indirectly, directly, accident or not, he was behind the wheel of a car and led to a single vehicle crash where another NHL player's life was lost. And he was allowed to play. Yeah, He and- was allowed to rehabilitate and come back and was eventually tr- traded from Atlanta specifically because – I think the weight of that and being there, you know, on the team where uh, his teammate had passed away is just too much for, for everyone involved. And you you don't have to look too far, man. Mark Hardy, who just had a legends night was accused of molesting his own daughter. Now, again, I'm not not that long ago, mind you, like five, six years ago. And I don't want to even comment on it because I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know the whole situation, but my point is he got a second chance, you know, regardless of what the outcome of that was, regardless of the press that he got a second chance and he got it with the Los Angeles Kings. Certainly he doesn't have his old job back or anything like that, but that's a legends night is no joke, right? It's not some flyby thing where it's like, Oh, it's not significant. I think it is. And he got a second chance. I'm not saying he, whether he should have, or he shouldn't have. All I'm saying is he got a second chance and he just pointed to, I don't know, eight other athletes, you know, NFL, NHL, whatever, who have gone second chances. And I think Slava deserves a second chance. Again, I will stick to what I'm saying is that it should not be with LA. And that's for a kind of a different reason. I think the Kings need to get as far away from it as possible, move on. And that's that. And and by the way, in hockey, you did mention the NFL, and I'm sure there is cases in the NBA. In hockey, the talent level between a Slava Voinov and a kid who could take his place is not as great as it is, let's say, in the NFL, where you have a star running back, star player, 
and the next guy in line, I think there's a much bigger talent gap. So for, in that respect, it should be an easy decision for the Kings to let him walk mm-hmm. away because hockey is that sport where the gap is not that big, where you can get a guy who could step in and perform solid admirably, and you don't have to worry about, oh, we got to keep this guy because he's such a special talent. And and it and it's sad. It's sad that 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 is actually one of the focal hey, points reality, for a lot yeah. of these things. Is it it is? But it's this is the this is the this is I think what exists in sports, and you see it a lot now in film and TV that it's becoming less and less important how talented you are, how important you are to the organization that you're that you're a part of. But I, I keep coming back to to Patrick Kane because there's been accusations against him. In, in numerous ways, numerous forms and ways about his misbehavior, both towards women, towards just average citizens in general. But yet we keep coming back to the fact that like, man, he's so talented, man, he's he's such a big part of this, you know, incredibly important franchises, you know, resurfacing as a, as a model team for the NHL. It, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. I mean, you should be judging everyone under the same lens if you're going to be doing that. And so to me, and you can, I, I think you can kind of sense this a bit in the comments from Blake and Robotime when out there out and they're not outright saying like, it doesn't matter what the NHL does. We would never welcome him back. Right. right? It's easy right. enough for them to come right out and say exactly that. They kind of dance around the question because they don't want to have this same discussion that we're having right now. So in that way, we're braver than them. So take that. Um, but we're, we're, all, we're also not the faces of a multi-million dollar corporation. Don't forget I that. I don't know, man. We're a pretty important <laughs> podcast these days. We're, we, we pop up on the first page of Google when you search LA Kings podcast. hey No, I, I, think, I think it's easy enough for them to outright say that, and they would gain plenty of fans in saying that, right? Like – the guy hasn't played on the team in in three seasons now. Right. It would be easy you, to cut the cord right now. Exactly. If you just said, we're never going to bring him back, it doesn't matter what the NHL does, who are you going to lose by saying that? In fact, if anything, I think you would gain tons of Support, fantastic yeah. yeah, publicity by saying that. And yet they're not. So that, to me, implies that they have the same moral quandary that that we're you know discussing right now. Sure. No, agreed. Agreed. It is a moral quandary. There is no right and wrong. There is, you know, it's it's almost like a, a little, I'm sure the Kings are having some sort of mental existential crisis about it and like what does it mean? What should it mean? How far deep? But again. Where's Russia? I don't know. Yeah. And, and look, man, I'm going to just straight out say it. The fact that he's Russian does not help his cause. Yes. Um. You could read into that what you want. I'm just – that's an opinion. The climate, the political climate of the world and all this stuff. If you don't think all-American Patrick Kane versus Russian Slava Voinov has no you know, bias towards it in terms of where they're from, you're kidding yourself a little bit. But again, I think I- it also matters because you can always make the argument that Voinov has somewhere else to go. Sure. Right? Like he, he has and will – continue to play in the KHL. So he's got someplace else to go. If Patrick King gets kicked out of the NHL, where's he going to go? He's going to go play in Switzerland. He's going to go to the KHL. Oh, KHL will take him. 
tax absolutely cash money, baby. but what i'm saying is it's 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 a different no, thing no and it, and again i'm not blaming anyone for that maybe subconscious bias i'm not because that's hey i get it man i get it i get how the world works it's fine and i am again not yelling racism or anything stupid like that because that's not i don't feel that way i just feel that it does make a difference and that's again to this day i'm saying the king should stay away from Slavoinov period because of all yeah. this that we just talked about so right maybe we park this topic vardy um we got into it we went way more Dude, po- i am i am sweaty that was <laughs> we are, we're not a political <laughs> podcast we're also not idiots uh we can get into it if we choose it can be to be a little bit of both <laughs> we can get into it if we choose to that's as far as we're gonna go on that okay quick 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 now you know what this second round series look like. Just some quick predictions. Let's go. Let's five minutes, okay? You started off. Go. Let's start with San Jose Vegas. San Jose sweeps. Obviously not. They just they just got <laughs> they just got trashed in game one. Reverse sweep. Look, my bracket. I had San Jose beating Vegas, or I had San Jose beating LA actually because I had LA beating Vegas. Um, but someone asked me before the series who wins. I said Vegas because I just saw how they play. San Jose, maybe if you want to argue they're better than or worse than the Kings, they're not that different. And I thought Vegas would would beat uh, San Jose. Um, I have Nashville beating Winnipeg, so nice. That's the West, I guess. Uh, in the East, I had Toronto going over Boston in seven. You, I know you had Boston in seven. Um, so now that leaves you with a tremendous series of Boston and Tampa. Look, I have Tampa winning the cup over Nashville, so that kind of tells you where I'm going there. Um, and obviously I have... Pittsburgh, Wash. I, I have Washington. Foolish. I never learned. Don't stop I have, believing. I have Washington uh, over Pittsburgh. And this is all, I'm being honest, everything I said was before the first game. So it's stupid of me to pick against Pittsburgh, but I picked Washington. So I have Washington... I have Tampa, I have Nashville, and I have Vegas moving on. I think Pittsburgh, obviously, because my prediction was that they would three-peat. So I'm going to stick with that for as long as I can ride that horse. Uh, so Pittsburgh, I think it's over Washington because that's just what they do. Um, <laughs> that is what they do. <laughs> that's what they do. I think that's the motto in the team locker room. is <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins, we beat Washington. Yeah. Um, uh, I think Tampa – Wins it over the Bruins. Um, Toronto took them the distance. I don't. I think Tampa's got way more weapons than Toronto ever did. Certainly, much more on defense. And I think Boston's going to have a, a hell of a time, especially if Rask <laughs> is not playing up to par. Goaltending too. Goaltending. Yeah. Um. So that's where I think that series is going. Man, that that Winnipeg Nashville series, I, I think is a it's a it's a coin flip, dude. You could you could really go either way with that one. Um. It is. It just, it just really depends on who shows up. I, I'll put it to you this way: I think, I think it's going to come down to a goalie duel. Honestly, wow, if one of crazy. Th- I'm yeah. just saying, you wouldn't think, and like midway I, through the season, that Connor Hellebuck and Pat and Pekka Rinne would be. But in But there you go. Yeah. You got two guys who are nominated for the Vesna. Yeah. Playing against each other. Yeah. You got the you got the league's number one and number two team playing against each other in the semis. It's pretty tremendous. It is. And. Um, I think it, I think it's going to come down to goaltending, quite honestly, because yeah. they're just so even in so many other ways right now. Nashville probably gets a little bit of an edge on defense, but I think Winnipeg's going to take it to. It's going to be back and forth, but 
Uh, it's very much Nashville's... the series I think everyone oh, has yeah. been waiting to see. Yeah, I think Nashville. I think Nashville ends up taking that in seven. That's where I'm going with that one. Nice. I think if I was Canadian, I would say Winnipeg because they are <laughs> the Great White Hope, <laughs> the final beacon of hope for Canada. Yeah, and um, I think uh, after seeing Vegas play against us, I was pretty confident they were going to beat whoever they played in the second round. It, they just it, their approach to the game, it it's it's too good for right now the way San Jose and Anaheim and everything were playing. I I, I think it's just they're they don't have the horses to keep up with with how and i can't believe i'm saying this if you were to ask me in september like <laughs> would i trade the king's roster one for one with the with the vegas golden knights roster no one would take that trade no one and yet here we are talking about how vegas has more horses right. than freaking anyone else in the pacific and it's and, madness man <laughs> it's crazy pills there's nothing there's uh Nothing you can do to make sense of it, so don't even try. I've given up. Yeah. I've accepted yeah. that they're a good team and they're they're going to beat the Sharks. And they proved it in game one with a complete ass-whipping of epic proportion. They scored more goals. Actually, they scored the same number of goals against the Sharks in one game as they did against the Kings in the entire series. Yep. So take that. If that doesn't make you feel better about, <laughs> about the Kings-Vegas series, I'm not sure what will. And okay, uh, they they chased Martin Jones out of the net, a goaltender exactly. that we have that always we spoken highly of. Uh, he looked like, man, he looked like he didn't know where he was, why he was, when he was. I'm going to say this. I think the Kings did the rest of the league a disservice playing Vegas as well as they played in the first round. <laughs> because Vegas, Vegas now is going to play every team that they come against the way they played the Kings. And that is hell for the rest of the league. I can get okay? behind. I can. I can get behind the mental gymnastics you just did, my friend. I can get behind it all day. I'm on board. I agree. Take Vegas, that. Vegas, you are welcome. You are welcome, Las <laughs> Vegas. The Kings basically Apollo created you into the Rocky that you are right now. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself, my friend. Well said. I think I can't think of a better way to end the episode than a, than a Rocky, than a Rocky IV reference. Either. I can't either. So that's it for us, guys. More episodes. We're going to go run on the beach and hug each other in water now. <laughs> that's right. More episodes coming in the summer. We don't stop just because the season stopped. Uh, we'll have more in-depth stuff. We'll have another List Miserable episode, I'm sure, where we put together uh, a very sequel. funny list. Uh, we'll have banner moments coming back for the summer. We always enjoy doing those. Because the content spreads thin for the Kings, but the content never spreads thin for the Bannerman. You can follow us on Twitter at the Bannerman Pod. Our website is thebannermanpodcast.com. Please subscribe. Please leave us reviews. We're on Android. We're on iPhone. Anywhere you can find us. And we are going nowhere. We'll see you as the weather gets warmer. Take care, guys.